There's a song that some of you probably know, and you won't claim that you sing it really loud when it comes on your classic country station, or you've got it on your your MP3 player, or where you stream it online, or whatever. But it goes a little something like this, and maybe you you know the the lyrics to it. It says, "Just the other night at a hometown football game." Anybody know the rest of it? My wife and I ran into what? My old high school flame. And then Garth says, as I introduced them, the past came back to me. And I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. And then he reminisces. She was the one that I wanted for all times. And each night I'd spend praying, what, that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant this wish, I wished back then, what, I'd never ask for anything again. And then he launches into it, and this is when you really hit it, right? Sometimes I thank God, right, for unanswered prayers. You know what I'm talking about, you know, even if you're not a country music fan. Remember, he says, when you're talking to the man upstairs, and just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Because some of God's greatest gifts are what? unanswered prayers. I would sing it for you, but I can't do it justice, right? You don't want me doing that. I'd ruin the whole song. But Garth, man, he goes on and he he reminisces and he talks about how he's so grateful that that prayer way back then was not answered. That, that he, he, instead of, of that girl who, you know, it wasn't quite the angel that he remembered in his dreams, right? And I could tell that time had changed me in her eyes, too, it seemed. He goes on, and, and thank God for unanswered prayers. And he, he's so grateful that God didn't answer that prayer, but brought him something better. And he could see that God had a better plan for his life. And Garth certainly is not a theologian, but we understand that there are times in life when prayers are unanswered. And, and, and that song encourages us, I suppose, to really stop and say, you know what, God, thank you so much for the prayers that you didn't answer the way that I wanted you to. Now, I wish I could say that in this room today are people just like me who are just so grateful for all of God's unanswered prayers. But I got a feeling that there are people in this room who are just like me who aren't so grateful for God's unanswered prayers and we're wondering, God, why don't you answer more of my prayers? That song is a little unrealistic, I think. I love it. Sing along with it. Garth and I sound great together. <laughs> Especially when he's the only one even here, right? But you know, that, that song, I think, doesn't truly reflect the sentiment that most of us walk around with. Most of us are not thanking God all the time. Lord, thank you so much for these unanswered prayers. I'm just so excited, Lord, that you haven't spoken on this issue in my life. And I've been praying for years about this. And God, you haven't said a word. You haven't answered these prayers. And God, I'm so grateful. I just, I tell you what, I... And all that preacher tells me to, to pray, and so I pray, and then, you, Lord, you don't answer, and it's wonderful. And we aren't walking around like that, are we? We're walking around half the time, shaking our fists at heaven, scratching our heads, saying, God, what, what in the world? Okay, I mean, you know, I, I mean you know, I've been praying for years, and you, you haven't seemed to answer this. There was a guy named Job in the Bible who, who wondered the same thing. Why isn't God answering my prayer? What's going on? And ultimately, he would come to the point where he would wonder, what's the point in talking to God anyway? What's the point? He's, his story is in the book that we've been looking at, the book that bears his name, the book of Job. If, if you can get there this morning, I would love for you to turn in the scripture with me or find it on your phone or your tablet or whatever. 
You'll see on your outline, you can scan that code and it will take you to some online notes that has a scripture there. Job is sort of toward the middle of the Bible a little bit. It goes Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So if, you, if you kind of flip your Bible open to the middle and you wind up in Psalms or Proverbs, go back to the left a little bit. There's a lot of chapters in Psalms, 150 of them. Keep going. There's 42 chapters in Job. We're going to start in chapter 8 today. And we're going to get all the way through chapter 10. We're going to be a fourth of the way through the book of Job by the time that we end today. And, uh, and we're nearly halfway through this series. At about probably 10.50ish, we'll be halfway through this particular series. That'll be seven and a half messages in. This, this is number seven. We're going 15. Okay, that's, that's what we're doing. So we're a quarter of the way through the book, almost halfway through the series. We're looking today in Job chapter 8. Our series is called When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And looking around this room today, I see a lot of people for whom life probably doesn't make sense. Why? Because you're human. Why? Because bad things happen. Why? Because sometimes you don't know what to do. Because we don't understand what God is doing. And sometimes life doesn't make sense. And for Job, life really didn't make sense. And where we are in the story today is picking up in chapter 8 where he has a discussion, or at least a, a, a back and forth with a second friend, a guy named Bildad, or Bildad, if you're from Western Kentucky reading Hebrew, Bildad, all right? And so Bildad is the guy who comes to him secondly after he's had a conversation with Eliphaz, or Eliphaz. Eliphaz has talked to him, we saw last week, Bildad comes today to, to discuss some things with him, and they're talking about what Job has had happen in his life. Job is held up in chapter 1, the first few verses, by God himself as this incredible man of integrity, this guy who fears God and shuns evil, the Bible tells us. So he is a, he is a top-notch kind of believer in the Lord. And yet, Satan comes to God and he says, well, of course he is. I mean, who wouldn't follow you if you gave him all this stuff? Won't you take that all away and see if Job actually cares about you now? So God says, okay, go ahead. And Satan afflicts Job with all kinds of things. He has all of his crops and all of his stuff and his cattle destroyed. And then in one tornado, all ten of his children are killed instantly. And then, if that's not bad enough, Satan goes back to God and says, well, you know, Job still hangs on to his faith. But if you, if you touch him, if you, if you do something to him physically, then he, he will deny you. And God says, go ahead. And so Job is afflicted with an illness, a disease, a skin disease of some kind that, as we've said before, would not make him a pitiable figure, but a pitiful figure. And somebody that was ostracized and alienated from his people. And so that's where Job was when his friends began to come around. And for seven days, they just sit there and they say nothing. And as I joked last week, that's probably where they should have stopped. Because as soon as they start opening their mouths, they say some things that aren't quite so helpful. And maybe you've known people like that. They're trying to help. They really are. Let's give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt. I mean, these guys, they seem to care about Job. In fact, they're the only three friends that came and talked to him. And so they, they care about him a little bit, at least. But like some friends maybe that you've had, they just don't know what to say. And what they say just rubs salt in the wound. And his friend's trying to help him get through it. But they can only see life in a certain way. And, and we'll see again from this second friend. Uh, who talks to Job that they're just not getting it right. So look in chapter 8. Let's look at the first couple of verses here. Uh, Bildad uh, begins to speak, and he says in verse 2, How long will you go on saying these things? Your words are a blast of wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Since your children sinned against him, he gave them over to their rebellion. 
But if you earnestly seek God and ask the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, then he will, then he will move even now on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. Then, even if your beginnings were modest, your final days will be full of prosperity. Pause there. What, what Bill Dodd is saying to Job is, you're full of it. Job has talked about, hey, I've done nothing wrong. And this guy says, yeah, you're full of it. We all know that's not true. There's no way. It, it, I mean, basically, Job, if you're saying that you haven't done anything wrong, you're calling God a liar and you're saying he's unjust. That's what his friend is saying. I mean, this guy's very direct. And he goes straight to the point that he's wanting to make. In verse 4, look what he says. You ever want to know how not to help somebody who's dealing with tragedy? Here it is right here. Since your children sinned against him, he gave them over to their rebellion. What's he saying? Anybody know? They deserved it, right? Your children died because they deserved it. What? This guy, Job, is sitting in the ashes the garbage dump of the city. The Bible tells us scraping himself with pottery, with broken shards of pottery because he can find no relief for his, for his physical pain. He's in intense emotional pain that, that hardly any of us could ever come close to imagining. And his friend comes and says, look, man, I hate to break it to you, but you know this is true. Everybody knows this is true. I mean, your kids rebelled against God, so he killed them. You want again? You want to? Here's how not to help somebody in tragedy: is blame them for their own tragedy. Do we make dumb decisions sometimes that bring things on us? Of course we do. But in this situation, had Job's children done anything that we know of? No. And then in verse five, he says. <clears throat> Job, here's what you need to do. If you earnestly seek God, if you pray, and if you ask in prayer, if you ask the Almighty for mercy, and then if you live pure and upright, then he will move even now on your behalf, and he will restore the home where your righteousness dwells. <clears throat> then even if your beginnings were modest, your final days will be full of prosperity. What's he saying? If you pray, God will change things. And if you live right, everything will be put back to the way it's supposed to be. So Job, apparently you're not praying, and apparently you're not living right, because things have gone so wrong for you. But if you will pray, then God will change everything. And if you will live right, then everything will go back to the way that it was. There's still hope for you, he says. Look at verse 8. For ask the previous generation and pay attention to what their fathers discovered. Since we were born only yesterday and know nothing, our days on earth are but a shadow. Will they not teach you, talking about history, will they not teach you and tell you and speak from their understanding? Does papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Do reeds flourish without water? While still uncut shoots, they would dry up quicker than any other plant. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. The hope of the godless will perish. His source of confidence is fragile. <clears throat> and he trusts in, in, in what he trusts in is a spider's web. He leans on his web, but it doesn't stand firm. He grabs it, but it does not hold up. He is an amply watered plant in the sunshine. His shoots spread up over his garden. His roots are intertwined with a pile of rocks. He looks for a home among the stones. If he is uprooted from his place, it will deny him, <clears throat> saying, I never saw you. Surely this is the joy of of his way of life, yet others will sprout from the dust. Look, God does not reject a person of integrity. This is what he's saying. And he will not support evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with a shout of joy. Your enemies will be clothed with shame. The tent of the wicked will exist no longer. Bildad cannot see any other kind of solution than Job, get right with God. And this stuff will stop happening to you. Because he buys into, of course, what we've known as the retribution principle, retribution theology. If I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. 
if I'm getting good, it's because I've done good. And if I'm getting bad, it's because I've done bad. And that is fast and true every single moment of every single day. And Job is beginning to understand maybe that's not proper theology. But his friend tells him, Job, if you just live right, if you just pray, just get yourself right with God. We know God doesn't reject people of integrity. We know that God welcomes everybody who, who prays to him and who gets right with God. and He'll fix everything for you, and that's what he tells him. And somebody here, guaranteed, has received the same kind of advice. In your situation, in your difficulty, we talked last week about five different areas in which we, we face sort of this tragedy. It's, it's divorce, disaster, disease, uh, depression, and death. Those are five areas that we just get attacked and, okay, we, you know, things are not so good. And in some sort of dealing with the, one of those things, you've been given this kind of advice. Look, God is fair. I mean, he's fair. So there's got to be a reason why this has happened to you has to be a reason. So what we need to do is, is is we figure out what you've done or what you haven't done, the sin that you haven't noticed, or maybe you're just not seeking God right, you're just not living exactly right. So let's trace it down. Let's think about what could possibly be the reason that you're being punished by God in this situation. Because obviously when things go bad for good people, they're being punished by God, right? That's what his friend is saying. And so we tell people, you just need to pray more or better or use these fancy words that we only understand at church. You know, I mean, pray, use those words, and then God will, because he speaks that language only, he will respond, correct? That was a joke. <clears throat> you need to pray, Job, or friend. You need to live right. And then everything will start to go your way. And I wish I could say that most of us reject that kind of theology. But from what I've understood and can gather about people, even Christian people, most of us embrace that kind of theology. And we live by it. And we don't maybe say it exactly in those words, but we think it. Well, if I live right, everything should go my way. Well, if, I, you know, if something's not, then God's punishing me for something. I'm going to figure it out. You know, I don't know what it is, but I, well, I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing enough, whatever it may be. And then Job answers in verse 2 of chapter 9. Look what he says. I know what you said is true, but how can a person be justified before God? You might be right, he says, but can I really be made right before God? I mean, even if I could track down all my sin. Yeah, we, of course, yeah, you know, I, you, you get what, you know, essentially, uh, you get what you deserve in so many cases. That's kind of what Job is saying. Yeah, I kind of think I, maybe I agree. But even if you're right, can I make myself right before God? What am I going to do? Even if I have committed some sin that's brought this stuff on, if I discovered it, how it was my fault, how could I stand before God? Hmm. And then look at verse 13. Or, uh, excuse me, read... Um, Let's look at verse 3. Uh, if, if one wanted to take him to court, he could not answer God once in a thousand times. God is wise and all-powerful. Who has opposed him and come out unharmed? He removes mountains without their knowledge, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place so that the pillars tremble. He commands the sun not to shine and seals off the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Then he goes on to talk about the constellations and the unsearchable things that God does. And he says, you might be right, but I can't figure this thing out anyway. Even if there was some sin, what would I do? What this interaction highlights for Job is he goes on and he says, even if I could figure out what I'm doing, 
what's the point in talking to God about it anyway? He's way out there and way up there, and I'm way down here. And this morning, I just want to highlight a couple of things that I kind of see evident here in these particular chapters, 8, 9, and 10, that we'll look at. And really, it comes down to me to to highlighting two reasons that people pray. One reason that Bildad was telling Job to pray, and another reason that Job learned we should pray. The first reason is 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 what Bildad was saying. You pray to get change. You pray for things to change. And I think this is the way that most people pray. We, we teach ourselves and we teach others, okay, if you pray, then God will whatever. Okay, if you seek God, then he will fill in the blank. If you turn from what you're doing and you pray in repentance, then everything will change in your life. And if you pray in faith, faith, real faith, like lots of faith, as much faith as you can muster, then the mountains that are before you will move and be thrown into the sea. Now we've all been taught those kind of things whether that's in a Sunday school lesson or in a sermon or on the radio or TV or wherever you've heard those things. And we've tried those things and we still see times when God doesn't answer our prayer. What now? I'm serious. Well, I mean, what, 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 how, how does that not go together? What we've been taught, if you pray, God will do this. If you get your life right, then these things will change. If you continue to pray and continue to live right, then everything will work out for you. It'll all be just fine. And it's not just fine, is it? You've prayed, nothing changed. You prayed and, and your circumstances got worse. It's like in It's a Wonderful Life when George Bailey prays and then the, the husband of his daughter's school teacher says, hey, you're George Bailey, right? And he says, well, yeah, I am. And he punches him right in the mouth. And a guy, the bartender, wants to know, he says, well, what in the world was that for? And George says, that's what I get for an, you know, an answer to prayer. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? I can punch in the mouth when I pray. <laughs> what? And when you're praying only to get things to change, prayer is going to feel one of three different ways, I think, and it's highlighted here. Prayer can feel very painful. I'm just going to highlight the verses. I'm not going to take the time to read through all three of these chapters. But in chapter 9, verse 17, Job says this, God is against me for no reason. He's praying, but he just recognizes I can't figure it out. God's against me for some reason, he says. Verse 18, he says, God doesn't even let me catch my breath before he hits me with something else. Verse 21 of chapter 9, he says, I renounce my life. We've already talked about how Job just wanted to die. Chapter 10, verse 1. Job says, I'm disgusted with my life. Chapter 10, verse 2, he cries out to God and he says, why are you persecuting me? When I expect my prayers to change everything and everything doesn't change, it's a painful experience. It's painful because, well, you know, what am I doing wrong in prayer? I mean, am I not saying the right words? I mean, am I not putting the right order? You know, what? It's painful because, well, maybe God doesn't love me after all. It's painful because what is hurting in me isn't going away. And God could change it, but he doesn't. 
and I thought I was walking with God, but maybe I'm wrong. When we expect and only expect that our prayers will bring change, and that's the only reason that we're praying, it's going to be a painful experience because not everything will change all the time. Secondly, prayer, when we are seeking only change, prayer can feel very pathetic. Job highlights this when he starts talking in chapter 9. He says in verse 4, God is wise and he is all-powerful. He can move and walk over mountains. He can do all kinds of things that I can't even fathom. In chapter 9, verse 14, he says, what case can I even make before him? And then finally in chapter 10, verse 20, he says, God, just leave me alone. You ever felt like your prayers were just pathetic? Like, God, I don't I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I'm unworthy to even be in your presence, but I feel like I need to be here talking to you, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. God is so big, and I am so small, and I I wonder what I sound like to him anyway. I mean, this little person, you know, that he created, and maybe he cares about, maybe he doesn't. He's got the whole universe to run, and here I am, you know, asking him to change this. And if prayer is only meant to get changed, then many times we're just going to feel pathetic. Because the fact is, God is really big. And God is really infinite. And God is all-wise and all-powerful, and we are not. And thirdly, prayer can begin to feel pointless. I think this is what Job is kind of experiencing, or at least he's talking about. Bildad comes to him and he says, Job, if you'll just pray, then everything will change. Just get your life right. Everything will go back the way it was. And Job starts to think through that and say, well... It says in chapter 9, verse 12, well, who can stop God? Who can stop him? Verse 16, he won't listen anyway, he says. You know, who am I? And in your prayers, maybe you begin to realize some things are true. I can't change who God is. Hmm. And I can't change what God does. And I can't change what God has allowed. And so you may say, what's the point in even talking to God? And I think Job was kind of there. Now, he doesn't stop talking to God. And essentially, you see down the very bottom of your outline, it's Job's words are, you know, his, his stance anyway, his attitude is, Lord, I'm praying anyway. Things aren't changing, but I'm praying anyway. But for Job, it seems as if prayer is painful. And he just feels pathetic. And it almost feels pointless to him. And if you're praying to get change and things don't change then your prayers are going to feel the same way. Painful, pathetic, pointless. But you say, well, isn't that the reason that we, that we pray? I mean, it's to get things to change. You know, I mean, what, what else am I praying for? I kind of figure that was the way that it is. I mean, to get God to act on our behalf. No, let, me, let me be clear about something. There's nothing wrong with taking our requests to the Lord. In fact, that's biblical. What does it say in Philippians chapter 4? In everything, by prayer and petition, let what? Let your request be made known to God, right? And then verse 7, we don't like to talk about. What does verse 7 say? And everything will work out exactly the way that you prayed. Because God is so good and so loving and so just. What does it say? And the peace of God, which what? Surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. So I am to make my request to the Lord, but not primarily for the purpose of getting everything to change. The ultimate point of prayer isn't to take this particular list that I have to God. 
uh, tell him what we want, and then sit back and watch him work it all out. Which brings up the second reason I think that people pray, and this should be the primary reason, and that is we pray to get God. If you notice a few things about Job's complaints and his prayers, if you read through this, he, he's complaining about the pain that he's in, the emotional pain, the physical pain, all the stuff that's going on. He's complaining about that. He, he doesn't want to experience that. But more than any of that, Job is complaining. Job is crying out. Job is hurt because he can't find God. But the loss of all of his, of his crops and his cattle has, it, I mean, it devastated him financially. The, the loss of his children devastated him emotionally. There's no doubt. The loss of the support of his wife devastated him because she was the only person that was left. But Job isn't even talking about all those things. He's simply wondering, where's God? He's wondering, will I ever get an audience with God? I mean, you know, even if I could take him to court, he says, I got nothing to say, but can I at least talk to God? Is he even there? And he just wants God to show up. He never asks. This is interesting. He never asks for things to be reversed. He never even asks to be healed. He just asks for God. Just the chance to talk with God about it all. Just to, to know that God is there and that God is paying attention. He just wants God. He's not praying for things to change. Why? Because he knows they're not. And he knows this. Listen, he knows this, that even if everything changed and he didn't get God, what does he have? Nothing. And it's because he just wants God that he persists in prayer until God finally starts talking several chapters later. When, when this is your goal in prayer, to get God, and then God doesn't answer your prayers, then we begin to see things in a different way. Three things really to kind of highlight, and then we'll wrap toward a close here. When, when God doesn't answer our prayer, but we are praying to get God, we see three things. The first is, well, okay, I, must, I know then there, there's something about God that I need to learn. There's something about God that I need to learn. God isn't answering my prayer in the way that I want him to, and so let me pay attention. What is it about God himself that I need to learn? Bill Dodd had talked about history, what everybody knows, that the retribution principle is, is true and always been true, but part of the author's point, the narrator's point in the book of Job is to show us that that's not true. The retribution teaching wasn't completely accurate, and Job needed to learn something about God that he didn't know before. God doesn't always give us what we deserve. And praise God that He doesn't. He doesn't always give us the good things that we think we deserve, but praise God He doesn't give us the bad things that we know we deserve. We, we, we know, of course, that the Bible teaches us that you reap what you sow. And, and yes, in general, that is a principle that is true. If you make wise decisions, you won't face foolish consequences. But... Sometimes God is doing things far beyond what we can see. And we need to learn and know that God is great and that God is good. And in His greatness, that means He is all-powerful and He is all-wise. And He is sovereign and He is omnipotent. And we're not. 
And we need to know that God is good, that He is always gracious and perfectly loving and merciful and holy. And I can only stand before Him on the basis of what He has done for me. And by the end of the book of Job, Job learns, or actually never learns, what we have learned all along about his circumstances. He never gets the backstory, But he learns about God. And he understands Him more. And that's what he's been praying for all along. Is God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, teach me. Secondly, when we're praying to get God and when God doesn't answer our prayers, we can know that there is something about God that I need to trust. Maybe it's something I need to learn, but maybe it's something I know that I just simply need to trust. Job says this in verse 10 of chapter 9. He says, God does great and unsearchable things. And he says in verse 11, I don't even recognize him when he passes by. And if you put that in the positive sense, we don't always know what God is doing, do we? We don't always see what God is up to. Job can't see God, and that's really the problem. He knows he's powerful. He knows he's all wise. But he can't see what God is up to, and so as a result, God feels distant and God feels terrible to Job. But Job, just like we do, he had to learn that I have to trust what I know about God. And in your situation right now, whatever it is that you might be facing, there are things that you know about God, and it's time to trust those things that we know about God. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean everything's going to change finally? <laughs> That means we understand and we trust God. The point of the book of Job, if you were here in the very first sermon, we started this a few weeks ago. The first sermon's point was, I trust God. Do you know what the point of the last sermon will be, number 15? I trust God. Book ends. Do you know what the entire point of God's revelation to us, the entire point of Him telling us about Himself, the entire point of Him calling us, the entire point of Him sending Jesus to us is so that what? So that we will trust God. It's ultimately it. There's something about God when God is not answering my prayers. There's something right now that I need to trust about Him. That He is powerful and He is wise and He's good and He's loving and He's merciful and He knows what He's doing. And while I wait for the answers that might or might not come, I'm going to trust God. And then thirdly, when God doesn't answer my prayer but I'm praying to get God, then I know maybe there is something in me that needs to change. Not something around me, but something about me, something in me that needs to change. Job's theology needed to change. It was incomplete. He didn't fully understand everything. And our way of looking at things might need to change as well. Some of us have been taught that being a Christian means that everything's going to work out for you. It's all going to be perfect. Just give your life to Jesus. Just pray this prayer in this order, and everything's going to be fine. And we need to learn that maybe, just maybe, when things don't go our way and when God is not answering our prayers, what is it, Lord, about me that you're wanting to change? Lord, how is it that you want to shape me? What about my view of God? What about my view of life? What about my view of eternity? This is not about your sin. This is about how I see things. What is it about me that needs to be made more like Jesus? Two reasons to pray this week. If you're a person of prayer, you've got two choices this week. You can pray primarily that things will change, to get change. Or you can pray primarily to get God. And, and when then things don't change, you can say, Lord, I'm praying anyway. 
I'm praying anyway. Even when I don't feel like it, even when it seems painful and pointless and pathetic, Lord, I'm praying anyway because there's something about you, Lord, that I need to learn. There's something about you that I need to trust. There's something about me that needs to change. So, Lord, I'm praying anyway. I want to close with this scripture from Job chapter 9. I know some of you, you packed up, it's time to go, the bell's about to ring, and we're on out the door. Okay, I get it. But chapter 9, verse 32, and I want to give you some hope this morning. Job chapter 9, verse 32 to 35. Job says this about God. He is not like a man, he is not a man like me that I can answer him. That we can take each other to court. There is no one to judge between us, to lay his hand on both of us. Understand what he's talking about, a mediator, someone who is both God and man. Do you get it? Let him take his rod away from me so his terror no longer fright, will, will no longer frighten me. Then I would speak and not fear him. But that is not the case. And look what he says. I am what? I am on my own. Job had nobody to speak to God on his behalf. He had no one to take his place in the court of God. He had nobody, and he believes that he's completely on his own. And ultimately, he is calling out for someone who would arrive on the scene centuries later. He's calling out for Jesus. The one who it says here can judge between us, lay his hand on both of us. Jesus, being God and being man, completely, fully both, has bridged the gap that Job so wanted And we can call out to Jesus this morning, the one who stands before God the Father in our place, the one who intercedes on our behalf before God the Father, the one who takes away the fear of of God's wrath, the one who died to take away our sins so that we might be made right with God. Job called out, Lord, give me someone to take my case before you. And God said centuries later, here he is. Let me tell you this, you and I cannot enter the presence of God on our own. And Job knew it. I can't make myself right with God, he said. And this morning, you can't try really hard. And you can't try to do all the right things and sing the songs the right way. And you can't pray the prayers the right way and stand up and sit down at the right time. And you can't pay enough attention during the sermon. You can't give enough money to make yourself right with God. And we stand just like Job. I am on my own. And then what happens? Jesus happens. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not on your own. You're on your own if you choose to stand on your own before God. Good luck with that. You still stand under the wrath of God. And you'll be punished for it for all eternity, he says. But if you believe in me, then you no longer stand on your own. You no longer stand under the wrath of God. Jesus is our advocate, our umpire. He is the one who goes to God on our behalf and pleads our case. And he pleaded that case with his blood on the cross. that was shed for us. And all who will be washed in the blood of the Lamb, we are told, no longer stand under God's wrath. No longer stand on our own wondering, does God care about me? You don't have to be Job this morning. You don't have to be Job wondering, does God care? Wondering, is God even paying attention? You can stand with Jesus this morning and be made right with God. If we are followers of Christ this morning, we are no longer alone, never being punished for our sins again, never apart from the love of God, never without hope this morning, even when suffering is the cup that we're currently drinking. 
Are you praying that things would change or that you would get Jesus? He's the one you need because even if things changed and you didn't get Jesus, guess what you wind up with? Nothing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning, <clears throat> we, we, we all need more of you. Lord, there may be a person here for the very first time who needs to surrender their life to you. And so, Lord, I pray that today would be the day <clears throat> that they would see that apart from you, we have nothing. Apart from you, we truly do stand on our own, hopeless. Lord, we thank you that sometimes you don't answer our prayers so that we'll learn about you and that we'll trust you and that we'll be made different. So Lord, teach us this week to pray not, not merely for things to change, though we thank you for the opportunity to present our request to you. Lord, may we not pray merely for things to change, but so that we will get you, that we'll learn from you, that we'll trust you, that you will make us the people that you want us to be, even if it is suffering that we drink along the way. Make us different, we pray in Jesus' name.